to episode 386 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Seth Troyer. It's Trek 2, the sequel, guys. Zach and Seth. Oh, yeah, we're back. This is the first time we've had a Just Me and Zach podcast since Shrek 2. Shrek 2 2. Hoop dreams. Hoop dreams. <laughs> uh, Ooh, we said that at the same time. It's like we've... This that's, is our that's the kind of podcast, podcast you're going to get into, people. That's See? the kind of podcast uh, you're getting into. That was a good assist. That was uh, a good assist. There we go. Mm. Um... On this week's episode, we're going to talk about movies that we saw this week in part one. And in part two, we're going to be kicking off our labor and basketball series with 1994's Hoop Dreams. Um, head over to cinematary.com. Uh, hopefully by the time that this episode comes goes live, I will have the uh, best top ten of the year list up on the website. I've been dragging my feet on that. I'll be honest this week with that. Um and, but we also have a review of Drive My Car from uh, Logan Kinney. If you've not read that, so definitely check it out. We got our whole lineup that we uh, talked about last week for the series on the website. But let's go ahead and jump into uh, jump into movies that we saw this week. I'm going to kick us off with one that I, I, that I saw. It just came on, um, on Amazon. I'll be honest. I just kind of wanted to watch it because I knew that Ben Affleck played a bartender who, like, offered worldly advice to his nephew um which sounded entertaining in 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 retrospect <laughs> he, elevator pitch yeah but like and he was in he in like in that role he's fantastic like he is the best part of this movie um it's no it's the latest it's the latest movie directed by george clooney uh the tinder bar and it's based off of the uh the memoir of uh j uh jr moringer um who is also a writer on this i'm going to probably digging into this guy a little bit but uh george clooney directs it um ben affleck stars as the so the main character is this is this jr moringer he's played um and an old as a as a young adult as or by ty sheridan from um he's in like the x-men movies he was in uh tree of life um he's been in a number of things um but his uncle is played by ben affleck who's kind of like his surrogate father, as in the at the beginning of the movie, uh, Jr. and his mom move back in with their family, um, which includes the the her father, who's played by Christopher Lloyd, um, and it's kind of just like about them, about him growing up and um, like wanting to become a writer, and like so the main thing with this movie that I have questions about is like like uh, did anybody like really like truly asked this guy if his life was interesting enough to be a memoir like i'm gonna be like super on it like there's nothing in this movie that goes yet like what you like the experience that you went through we definitely need a written version of this like this seems it seems like a kind of basic ass story so like i think that the the what we're supposed to glean from it is that he has this like ben affleck you know the uncle character who like just is a big um you know a champion of him and is like giving him life advice and is just a good i mean he's pretty much the dad because his dad is like a deadbeat who's who's you know never around who kind of ditches him who um who call who only calls on occasion is just he's absent and you're like yeah there's a bunch of people who have absent <laughs> neglectful fathers you're not interesting because you have that and like 
by the end of the movie, while I enjoyed Ben Affleck's performance a lot, I also was just like, what was the point of this movie? Like, the kid grows up. He didn't have a dad. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of people who don't have dads. So, I mean, that doesn't, you know, that's okay. And he, like, goes to college. He gets into Yale, which is a big deal. I'm like, okay. And then after he goes, to, he gets out of Yale, he, like, the the... the pretty much the majority of the story is he's trying to get with this girl who you know is just completely rejecting him and kind of neglecting him over and over again until he finally realizes that and he also like gets a job at the new york times for a little while you know that thing that we've all done um and then he decides yeah and then he decides that he's gonna write like memoirs and i'm like I don't know. I, I, at the end of this, I was like, I don't see why this guy, one, got to write a memoir, and two, like, published it, and then we made a feature film about it, because there's absolutely nothing interesting about this guy who, whose life was literally, yeah, like, I grew up with out of, without a dad because my dad ditched me, and um, I wanted to be a writer one day. Like, that was his story. So, like, what the fuck was the point of this whole thing? Um, How about those apples? I know. I mean, let me again. Let me tell you. Like, if if the whole movie was just Ben Affleck like running a bar, it would have been a lot more fun. But instead, it's like about this kid. I don't. I didn't really care about the kid. So, I would not recommend the Tinder Bar. It's pretty boring. Other than Ben Affleck, again, I'm gonna reaffirm for the 18th time in this review that Ben Affleck is great in this movie. But maybe also we should like. Maybe also George Clooney. Not everybody's a director, you know? Maybe, you know? I'm not. It, mm-hmm. Seth's not. I'm not. And maybe you're not too, George Clooney. So, uh, you know, much like J.R. Moringer or whatever the fuck this guy's name is, maybe your story's just not interesting and you shouldn't direct movies anymore because it's just, I don't know. So, The Tinder Bar, it's on Amazon if you'd like to check it out, but, um, I just explained the movie for you, and it was probably a more interesting experience, or you know, interesting and fun experience than watching this movie. So I would just live with that. Um, Sounds like it should have been just like a remake of Cocktail, but with Ben. That would have been great. Yeah. Like, and the and the bar scenes aren't you know are fine, but like they're very tame. Like bar, like they have these scenes with like these kind of barfly characters. And they're very tame. You know, you're just like, I don't know. Those aren't really barflies. It's kind of like PG movie barflies. <laughs> you know, it's they might as well just be drinking cranberry juice or something like shit. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's just, It was just kind of... I, I thought it was going to be more like more Ben Affleck doing stuff. And it was not. It was more... Let's let's be you know let's let's dive into the nuances of this boy's life and I'm like so the boy has a shitty dad whatever so yeah Tinder Bar on Amazon Prime let's talk though about a way more fun movie um, that came, according to us according to us I guess but and a lot of other people there's just yeah all the cool kids I guess that they are all out the cool there. kids think this you movie's know? good um, yeah the ones who have taken the proper pill. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, it came out right before Christmas. Uh, the Ma- Matrix Resurrections, uh, which is the fourth in the Matrix series, it brings back Lana Wachowski as the director. And um, real quickly, the story is so it, it after the events of the th- first the tr- first trilogy of Matrix movies, um, you kind of pick up with uh, 
you know, Neo once again, it seems like after the events of Revolution, he's um, been almost pretty much inserted back inside the Matrix and is he's alive alive and like living this life as kind of like a tech bro. Um, he, He in his mind, he believes that like the Matrix is this video game that he created and the video game features like scenes and you know the scenes and people and the experiences of the three the first three matrix movies um but then you know all of that starts to kind of deteriorate as um this new uh group of rebels kind of works to pull him as well as trinity who is also in this new um matrix world um out of it in order to uh to you know save the world once again um but he thinks he's like just a normal game developer in this scenario that he's in and he thinks the matrix is just fictional that he's making which is really wild he's like making a video game with from that is made from his like subconscious memories of the past three movies basically which i think is great so he's sort of like accidentally leading himself to the truth again Mm -hmm. um um (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, I rewatched, uh, or actually, I think I saw the the third Matrix movie for the first time. But I watched the trilogy before watching this. Um, kind of, I don't know, I don't know what your uh, feelings are about the, the the trilogy. I, I, I've always been kind of mellow on the movies, but I really, I think I just got into them a lot more this this time around. I really, the first one, I think, is still the best. Um, and I really appreciate, I, I think that the second and third one are, are, I'm kind of in the camp of these are, you know, underappreciated. Like, I think that they got unfairly maligned. Like the second one is super fun. And the third one is great because it's just like wall to wall, like awesome, yeah. just crazy action. Everybody should calm down. We are lucky to have them. Like these batshit, crazy, multi-layered, like, well, not even, not even like, movies, not even you know? like, I mean, like the philosophy and like this narrative of those movies are great. But like, I was also just kind of like, amazed with like the set pieces like you think of like set pieces you have like the highway scene in the second one but then also like the attack on zion in the third movie like those just the set pieces themselves are just incredible spectacles i mean i'm in the same place i'm in the same place that i think they've been like overhated because there was too much you know it's like classic i imagine this one will have a similar trajectory actually that it's like out of the gate, everyone is just like, I, there's just a lot of loud voices really hating on Matrix Four, and I can't help but like think it's going to kind of go this route. The like the Matrix sequels and even like the Star Wars prequels have like, ten years later sort of get this new life and new appreciation. Now that like the pressure has gone down or something. Yeah, well, with this one especially, so you also have like this kind of. Um, you know, we mentioned that, that the, 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 the events of the previous Matrix movies are like condensed into this video game. Um, but you also, you know, it's, it's a movie that's also kind of dealing with the, with kind of um, this meta narrative and, fa- you know, 
fandom in general like it brings back the characters of morpheus and agent smith but they're not Lawrence fishburne and hugo weaving they're like new variations of it um you have all of these characters who really like have this affinity for neo and trinity because of what they've seen from you know the events of the previous movies and i think that lana wachowski is in you know i think that in her and the writers of the movie like they're they're very nuanced with like how they kind of make this commentary um you know i think that I, i the more i've sat with its whole like uh story about being a reboot to a degree i think that it's much smarter than people are giving it credit for but uh what did you what did you make of the fourth movie i mean i i i really enjoyed it i think it is a bit of uh it gets to be a bit of a slog in the middle for me uh like some of the action pieces don't work as well as like the old movies do um i'm also a hard sell personally on like just like it's still going and they're still shooting and they're still like blasting away which is why like it's amazing like they do what they do in the sequels so well um but i found that it's really interesting and hard to track really right that a lot of like nerdum nerdum or whatever like seems to ha- i don't know they, they seemed like threatened or something or like they really hated and felt like this meta narrative that's going on here which is sort of like personal it feels very personal it's like literally like keanu is standing for lana um in like there's even like they are asking keanu to make a matrix 4 video game that he thinks is like whoa okay really we're gonna make another one kind of thing like and it is like you know it it's a very real thing it's it's silly that they that we need these things to constantly keep going and uh i don't think it's on the other hand i'm i'm one of the people who wants more matrix but i get that it is like I got to admit, it is, like, silly that we have such a hunger for, like, a million Star Wars spinoffs and a million Marvel movies. Um, but I found it strange that, like, these meta narratives like, seem to really, like, get under people's skin and felt like they were being, like, insulted or something, where, like, comparatively, this, in the same year, like, uh, the Spider-Man movie was very, like fourth wall breaking like uh yeah well that's a it's a good example because i think that the how people have reacted to this fourth matrix is very similar to how people reacted to the last jedi star wars movie which is also so is also a movie that's very much commenting on the nature of star wars movies um and like i i think both of those are i think i think to your point like the reason people got like it gets under their skin is yeah they do get offended because it they read it as like a critique on them that they um are into this stuff and it's like no it's not like saying you're dumb or stupid for liking this but it's more just investigating like why do we 
you know, why do we need more of the same type thing? Like, why do we just need to keep feeding this? You know, like why, like, why can't we just, um, burn the past and move forward type thing? And so, um, and it proves it again and again, making points that like, once the characters do come back, they're not the same or like when things do repeat quote unquote, they, something is different something has changed which is always the case like and that's why we like grumble about remakes and stuff like that we totally asked for right yeah and 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 you bring up spider-man that's a movie we talked about it a couple weeks ago on the podcast but that's a movie that it 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 works with people because it's not it's not interrogating you know the meta like like it's not interrogating that stuff it's more just it's it's like empty calories it's affirming that it's not it's not challenging it in the in the least and so people like that one because they're like cool this is awesome it's not it's just allowing me to to just kind of eat those eat those potato chips all you know all day and i'm like that's fine but i think it's also i don't know i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna it's i'm gonna i'm gonna be it's going to last with me more like what the matrix resurrections is doing and what it's trying to say about, um, you know, just the machine of these franchises. And it's, it's interesting that people just want, you know, the character of Neo or the character of Trinity to never change. They just want the same person over and over again when, you know, I think that the nature of these movies is that these are like, you know, constantly changing you know alive properties Mm -hmm. so and there's such a interesting aspect to this sort of i think i think it's doing it in a much more mature way because i I don't know that's my thing when i watch a lot of marvel movies being like a really big like comic book fan what turns me off from them is sort of what's going on and sometimes does happen in this matrix movie this matrix movie is not perfect it's like got all kinds of like issues here and there and it does some of the problems but for me it 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 focuses its energy in a more mature place of like both taking itself seriously and also um poking fun at itself where like feels like i can't watch a Marvel movie without constantly, like, every five minutes give, getting, like, some joke about how, like, Doctor Strange is a stupid name, like, and just, like, like I can't, just for one second, can I, like, just take it seriously for us, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I think that, again, it's, it's kind of like, you know, that whole... And I talked about this with the Spider-Man one. It's just, it's just constantly like the, 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 the whole crux of those movies is just, you know, you, you're a part of the club. You got all the, you got all the banners, you got all the pins, like, you know, all the, the, the things and like the joy of the movies now, it seems like is for those people who have all the pins and, and all this, that stuff to for the movies to reaffirm to them oh yeah you have all the pins and stuff and like to me that's not that's not that's not entertaining in any form you know form or fashion especially like going to the movies to you know go see a you know go see a movie go see an you know a spectacle on the screen i'm just like no i want to be like i want to like enjoy myself i don't want to just be sitting there going i know these references over and over again and like the matrix is it does kind of like poke fun at that but again like what you said like it also like builds on that you know like you have these reimagined 
performances of of Morpheus and Agent Smith, and it's interesting, like how both Yahya Abdul Mateen does Morpheus and how uh, Jonathan Groff does Agent Smith, because like they do, like they have like the the ticks and tendencies to a degree, but they're also doing their own thing, and so it's also it's almost like this other commentary on like how how these characters and how we saw these characters changes over time. Right. It also makes Neil Patrick Harris a um, a smug, uh, uh, a similist asshole, which is probably his best role. Yeah, it kind of fits him. He, uh, let me tell you, yeah. Um, well, The Matrix Resurrections is, uh, I believe, st- it's still on um, on HBO Max. It's still in some theaters. So I, honestly, I went and saw it in the theater. It was super. It was super fun there, but. Um, uh, HBO Max as well. I think till the end of the month. So if you, and I would recommend like again, like I I really I really um, I really enjoyed the the trilogy more this time around. I think I think a lot of it also is just I kind of had the same feeling when I went back. Um, I think it was last year, or the year before, and rewatched the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I just have like like, and I did the same thing with like the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies. I'm like I, I'm enjoying going back to like that era like blockbusters and just appreciating how like wild they were compared to how sterile um we what we have now is so uh i mean last thing i'll say on it is like i mean you we we pick apart the matrix real hard a lot of the time especially the sequels but like it is kind it's easy to forget it's like basically our last like original franchise that is not like based on any existing property or a remake or like a disney ride or a novel like when was the last time there was like some kind of trilogy come out that it was just like we wrote a story, it's new and it's a thing now and it's a new franchise. Like, oh yeah, I mean it's I, like I was watching the first movie and I'm just thinking a lot of the, like this like I just imagine like how wild it was to, like to watch the like it like this is just, it's such a strange like strange movie constantly like that it makes you know it makes sense to but it also doesn't make sense and you're just like what the hell is this i like half the time it's great yeah um i do also want to mention you know on on resurrections that there's a you know i think there's a lot of really um really fascinating great writing on a lot of the trans allegories in the movie um I didn't want to, you know, that's just something, I, you know, I, I would direct people to uh, Willa McKay's Patreon. She, uh, th- they did a really nice review of it. And then um, in reverse shot, there's a really nice review about um, that subject matter. So if, if you're, if you're kind of looking for that as well, like definitely check that stuff out because um, it's, it's good. It's good writing and a good reading on like the kind of, you know transgender cinema and uh in matrix resurrection so check that out well the real last thing i'll say about it is piggybacking on that because it is it it was really interesting to think about that during matrix 4 that like yes there are like maybe it's going a little far in like kind of self-referencing and laughing at itself and making fun of itself but what you are watching is someone who like was a different person, literally, a, like a different person, you know, 
when they made those first films and now they have like come into themselves in a way different way and now that they are like going back and they're of course going to look at it differently uh since lana transitioned and everything i found that like aspect of it very interesting and like yeah of course, of course you're gonna look back at that stuff and be like whoa wow i was really uh you know i was different back you know yeah no absolutely and that's i think that like i'm excited to rewatch it like through that lens after reading a lot of this writing um about that specifically though hbo max hey um you should probably change the uh directing credits on your uh on your movies for the matrix oh shit yeah yeah you assholes so um Jeez. uh seth you're gonna you're gonna uh you're gonna send us back a few years let's get back let's get back um yeah i finally watched get back it like took me forever to finally get around to it it feels like but i've been excited for a while i'm definitely a beatles fan um and it it, it yeah, I mean, well, I, I'm willing to admit it. I, I just, I run into enough people that are like, you know, ever thought about how the Beatles are just okay, you know, and they just got to take that hard stance, like, just because it's fun, to, it's cool to say that at parties. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I really was really pleased that we got so much from this and they chose to not cut it down to a two-hour documentary we got i don't know how long it is it's big um and it should be big even then though what's interesting is it's still opaque it's still like you can it's still about reading between the lines because it's it's the beatles they're being filmed i i didn't i didn't realize like much about this whole era that was like I think it's like the last it's the last couple months of the Beatles career before they finally like call it quits which is like it's an ongoing even after this it's still like up for debate like what exactly happened why did they stop um but yeah they're being filmed for like what is first a tv show and then becomes like a they're gonna make a movie and then like all these plans are being made and broken and made and broken and we're watching them in real time like figuring out what they want to do with themselves and like writing and working on these tracks that are going to be on a hypothetical album which becomes let it be um what is extra interesting is the fact that they are being filmed at an incredibly like crucial point in their career where there is like both like a ton of pressure on them and uh also they're clearly like entering that phase where they're they're young uh, they're no longer like kids anymore they're like very much adults uh they don't they don't they have their own social lives separate from each other and you can tell that's happening you know um and you can also tell that the being the act of being filmed is turning them on in this weird way uh clearly making them or making it difficult for the viewer to know like when they are being genuine and when they are being like kind of cagey which of course they were already probably like passive aggressive with each other because there's a lot of complicated drama between like say john and paul and whatnot um so 
it makes it it adds an extra layer on top of that that they are playing for the camera some of the time and maybe sometimes acting in a certain way they would never have acted if they weren't like just being documented like 24 hours a day almost uh not 24 hours a day but like whenever they enter the studio um to record this stuff it was definitely something that struck home with me uh being in bands not the being in the beatles and being filmed all day but uh it was uh very heartwarming to see that like one of the greatest bands of all time also has these practices that just go nowhere and no one can it's just three hours later still just like like laughing and like okay we're gonna actually do it this time no we're gonna actually do the damn song and then they start and then they just start laughing and john sings some random line out of nowhere and they just can't get it together it's like it's funny it is just it's just across the board it happens was there um Um, was there anything over the 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 documentary that about any any specific one of the Beatles or a couple instances that like you didn't you know something about their personality that was kind of it stood out to you through the documentary well I mean I I I was kind of a John hater, and this made me like John a bit more. But again, I feel like it is because John is like a great entertainer, and he is playing it up for the camera and whatnot, which, you know, not necessarily displaying like some of what I've read, which is him being like kind of a controlling, like throwing some fits and stuff. And seeing Paul uh, being the most charming human being ever. Uh, Ringo definitely has... I was surprised by Ringo, because I always saw Ringo as, like, just clowning around or something, but he's quiet the whole... Like, most of the movie. He's, like... If anything, he, like, mimes jokes, but he's, like, in the background, very, like... Which was his role, probably, was to listen and, like, realize, like, I should probably listen to the genius guys and do what they say kind of thing. Um... Yeah, I've seen because uh, I, I haven't watched it yet, but I've seen people kind of talk about how Ringo definitely has like the kind of he's the the youngest brother of the like he's the he's the he's the young brother of the uh, of the group. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's on YouTube. If if anything, you don't want if you, and you don't care enough to sit through the whole like huge documentary. There's like a clip of Paul writing "Get Back" and like literally in real time in like an hour like it, it's like a condensed hour period where john is late to practice so paul just writes get back um and he's just like does just like oh there it is you know no no trouble at all and then by the time john shows up they're already like jamming on it and they've got the chorus and there it is like it's easy as that well cool um well beatles get back it's on uh it's on disney plus um or just pirate it you know um cool well we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna be hooping it up after this (laughs) 
Hello, Cinematary listeners. This is your favorite Filipino podcaster, Jessica Carr. I'm here to let you know about a couple of things that Cinematary offers that you might not know about. First, if you're a fan of what Cinematary is doing, please consider joining us on Patreon. Remember when we weren't clamoring for your dollars? Well, now we're just clamoring for five of your dollars. So please help us and donate to our Patreon, and then you'll get exclusive content from our staff, including our film theory and chill series where a panel takes a piece of theory each month and deconstructs it before diving into whatever topic is on their mind from the past week the five dollars each month is investment in the website and the podcast and it goes solely to paying our writers for the reviews each week so please consider doing it it's only five dollars if you miss an episode of cinematary or a piece of writing we've had you should consider signing up for our free newsletter each sunday we send out a note with the latest podcast episode piece of patreon content and the last two reviews that we've written at cinematary.com it's perfect for those of you who are interested in what's happening and it makes sure that you don't miss a single cinematary review finally the easiest thing that you can do to help us is to please please give us a rating and review on itunes spotify or whatever else you're using to listen to the show this helps us get more eyeballs and ears on the podcast and the website and it helps the people know about cinematary which is really what we're here for so to recap consider donating to our patreon sign up for the free newsletter and give us a rating or review we would really appreciate if you could do these things thank you for listening and now back to the show of Cinematary. In this part, we'll be kicking off our labor and basketball series with 1994's Hoop Dreams, which is directed by Steve James, Frederick Marks, and Peter Gilbert. Filmed over a five-year period, the documentary follows young Arthur Agee and William Gates and their families as the boys navigate the complex, competitive world of scholastic athletics in Chicago while dealing with the intense pressures of their home lives and neighborhoods. Uh, Hoop Dreams was originally intended to be a 30-minute short film produced for the public broadcasting service, and this 30-minute special was eventually completed under the name Higher Goals, which was uh, exclusively directed by Frederick Marks, which was nominated for the 1993 Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Children's Special. The filming of the special led to five years of filming and 250 hours of footage. Um, at one point in the film, the electricity was turned off in the AG home, and the filmmakers continued filming and off-camera provided money for the lights to be turned on, back on without any um, without any money. The crew shot five days in the summer going into the freshman year, seven days of the freshman year, and ten days of the sophomore year. Um, I, I was interesting in, in a review in an interview. Steve James was talking about you know how they they got the lights turned back on, and I I, I guess they got um, flack when the movie came out about doing that as like it being like you know like journalistic journalistic ethics. And I thought I thought he had a good the answer because he was just kind of like ethics. He, 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 
well, that's it. He he had this he had this answer of just like fuck journalistic ethics. Like these people have allowed us to be in their lives for like multiple years and allowed us to like you know watch them and talk to them and like be engaged in their lives for this period. Like we're gonna help them turn their lights on. It's fine. Um, oh yeah, if you're ever like in a place where you're seeing like how wealth is not distributed properly it's there where you're like i've received money to stand around with a camera and these people who i'm filming cannot turn on the lights yeah, exactly like, it's time for me to give them some of the money that was given to me to stand around exactly with the camera. um so the, so you know during the, the they filmed a bunch during the freshman and sophomore years and then the demo reels were released and they began to hear some positive reviews and started to gain more funding, uh, which led to them shooting in the ju- during their junior years and, uh, you know, o- over 100 days between the summer of their junior years to the end of the film. Um, Arthur Agee later said, you know, in interviews about the film that it served as both a blessing and a curse. Uh, but did laud it for helping his, him, you know, him move his family out of the projects and providing him opportunities. He actually started a Hoop Dreams like clothing line later on. Um, and then uh, I, the the only review I I decided to pull just because I think it was the most it's probably the most important one that most people know is the Roger Ebert review from 1994. Um, a film like Hoop Dreams is what the movies are for. It takes us, shakes us, and makes us think in new ways about the world around us. It gives us the impression of having touched life itself. Hoop Dreams is, on one level, a documentary about two African-American kids named William Gates and Arthur Agee from Chicago's inner city who are gifted basketball players and dream of someday starring in the NBA. On another level, it is about much larger subjects, about ambition, competition, race, and class in our society, about our value structures, and about the daily lives of people like the A.G. and Gates families, who are usually invisible in the mass media, but have a uh, determination and resiliency that is a cause for hope. Many filmgoers are reluctant to see documentaries for reasons I've never understood. The good ones are frequently more absorbing and entertaining than fiction. Hoop Dreams, however, is not only a documentary. It is also poetry and prose, muckraking and expose, journalism and polemic. It is one of the most, one of the great movie-going experiences of my lifetime. Oh yeah, uh, sure. I don't know. Jeez. <laughs> on that note, uh... Seth, what did you make of Hoop Dreams? Had you seen it before? Hell yeah, I don't know. Sure, geez. Like, again. No, I had never seen it, but I I had always, like, seen it around. And I'm not, like, a sports person. But more recently in my life, I've been, like, some of that has been kind of falling down. And I've been, like, why? a lot of the reason I was disinterested was just because of, like, people I didn't like at high school or like, you know, alienation at high school or whatnot. But I have been more interested in sports than ever, I think. And I think this came at a good time for me to see it. Um, and this of course, like, is like Ebert said, is like so much more than sports are going on here. Like, but oh my God, just, it, it makes you really understand what <laughs> I don't know it's is so multi-layered a lot of this I was so in I, I was I was so impressed by 
how this was all framed. I kept on worrying that it would slant too far in one way and the way that, um, like, certain characters, especially background characters, were being framed. Like, like, oh, we're going to sort of, like, make the dad look this way or make the brother look this way. But it, in the end, it really does, like, do a pretty good job of being honest in a, in a pretty great way without, like... It does not have some sort of like art, artsy approach to documentary either. I was like, when you said it started out as like a 30 minute piece, it, once you start it, you kind of don't believe that this is about to be like a three hour epic. It does feel like, oh, like this is like, if you couldn't see the runtime, you would probably imagine that this is just like something from the from the news from the 90s or something like that, a human interest story. But like very quickly, it just uh, opens up the floodgates and it just so much is going on. Um, so much so much winds up. Uh, it winds up happening and there's so much. There's so many issues uh, uh, that crisscross. Um, the coach is so complicated. The coach is the like the one the Saint Joseph's coach. Saint Joseph's coach, um, which, yeah, really like, he is so intense and so like he's this this guy who's working these kids so hard because he like obviously like you know you can see it this is like we do li- live in this system which he frequently calls it like like are you playing in the system do you believe in the system which the system is this sort of like shitty like loaded capitalist bullshit where like there's this weird thing where like if you get good at this game they will give you a shit ton of money like if you do it just right um and I'm so therefore like and so much money that it's worth me like being terrible to you and you sacrificing your body and like sacrificing everything and missing your child's birth and things like that for some game. Um, uh, which I thought was just so intense to witness. Um, yeah, well, it just it, it shows you like. I think, you know, this is the second time I've watched it. I remember it's been a while, though, since I watched it for the first time. And the second time, I think I really, I was really zeroed in on the William Gates story out of the two. Um, So in the, so what his kind of arc through the movie is, he's kind of the more highly lauded of the two in terms of playing basketball. They, They both go to this, um, they're both recruited by this guy who he's out also he they don't talk to him a bunch but he's kind of interesting the earl smith character who is like the scout in the city who goes to like the inner cities and the projects and watches kids play basketball and like recruits them to come to saint joseph's which is on the other side of town which is the rich white kids um and like brings them to go play basketball there and arthur plays there for a little while but then um and he, he, he brings it up, you know, a bunch of times throughout the rest of the movie, but pretty pretty much the coach, you know, the coach that you're talking about um, didn't see him as being, like, a, 
I'll be, I'll be a valuable investment. Like he was not a valuable investment to him. And so he, they kind of cast him out and it causes a lot of like monetary strife because then they owe all this money to the school and all this other thing. But, uh, but William is, is like the much more highly lauded and like, he's able to stay there, even though he kind of comes from the same neighborhood, he's able to stay there because he has like a benefactor and, you know, like there's this, the person who, uh, who owns the, uh, Britannica, like they, like they're like the president of that organization is like paying for him to like go to this school and they talk to her a bunch and she's, you know, she's talking about him like this, 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 and you know, this investment that she like, you know, like the, she put money into, which is weird. Um, but he's fascinating because it's like, he starts out and he's like, if you're like looking at who's better at the beginning, he's definitely the better player. And like his freshman year, he's really good. His sophomore year, he's really good. And then it like goes into the junior year where they're like, yep, this is where he's going to take the leap and be even better. Um, but then, you know, as, as what happens is he gets unlucky and he gets a knee injury and that not only like, he's physically unable to like play but clearly like there's like a mental component to it because i think the worst thing that the coach that you're talking about does is i mean they rush him back from that you know like his knee he probably shouldn't have played at all that year but they rush him back at the end of the year and then he re-injures his knee and he clearly has like some mental hang-ups about like feeling comfortable playing on the knee on, on his knee and and stuff like that and so like from what he goes is like the kind of like rising star to this kind of he like he gets a scholarship and he gets to go to college, but like you know he definitely is is a little bit wounded by the end of it. Definitely, I think that's what, and 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 while it, it's not cut and dry like I thought it might have, I was worried it would be cut and dry between the two characters. Like this is like the 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 kid who did it right, and this is the kid who did it wrong, because um, it is like Arthur. Uh, He's the one who goes on and wins like championships and like yeah. succeeds. He's at the public. He's at the public high schools. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, like really does well. And William, like, has that bad luck, and it seems like even though he doesn't reach the heights of Arthur, he reaches like a he he reaches like a different um, point of success, which is sort of you can see it as a while after a while like he's seeing through the bullshit and what like by the end like he is almost like res- I mean he's he's very distraught when he like you know meets his his end as far as like the game is concerned and whatnot but you can tell he's like he's like ready he has like a kid he has like a family and he's been turned off by this coach who ran him so hard and this like in a lot of ways, this whole system, he's seeing through this whole, like, system that did not care about him. Not about him. And there's, like, a final moment where, like, the coach is like, well, so you're going off to, you know, do your own thing now. It's, you'll remember me. You'll you'll remember that you that what I did it was, was good for you. And then he, like, William very much stands his ground in that scene and... He just shakes his head. He says, what is it? He says, uh, you know, like, can I get your number so that, you know, when you call me for money, I can turn you down. It's so good. Yeah. It's great. 
He says, like, I'm going away to college to study communication, so I'll, I'll, I'll be able to, I'll have the best way of turning down your phone call, of the best yeah. way, way it's of the, talking about. It, it was such a, like, eloquent, fuck you. I was just like, hell yeah. Like, you, you could have just been like, oh, fuck you. But it was just like, a, such a, like, it was good. That was, I was like, that's a great line, dude. It's um, like the most, yeah, he doesn't say much, like, he doesn't say a ton during the documentary. Mm-hmm. But, He's like, very soft-spoken. But, you see there... You re- you can you can see like the change in him over time, and then he finally like speaks the truth there, like which is like the fuck you to the coach. Well, he also you know like he, through his whole recruiting process because he's been fucked over through that junior year with the injury, but he's still getting recruited, and so it's 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 that whole part is interesting because you have all of these like big schools going after him, you know Indiana, Kansas, um, and Marquette where he goes is not a. Sp- not a bad school by any stretch but what they what why he accepts it before the season is one they off they i mean they offer him a scholarship and they say even if you're if you know your knee blows out during the season you can come here for four years and have a scholarship and like that's i think that's that's kind of one of the things about this movie that it really gets at is like that's that's the important thing. Like, you know, you, you look at at him compared to his brother. His brother is this kind of side character who clearly was also this standout basketball player who um, seemed, you know, it, it, you kind of get the impression he was just really uncoachable. He kind of just thought he was, you know, the next Michael Jordan and just kind of flamed out. And now, you know, he didn't get a college degree because he flamed out. And so now he's just kind of bouncing between job to job. He's, you know, trying to stay out of trouble, things like that. And he's kind of riding the coattails of his brother. And so, you know, you see him and you see the comparison of like William does all he can so he can get that for you, that, that scholarship so that he can go to Marquette University on a full ride and you know at the very least even if he doesn't have basketball he'll have a college degree so he can go and get a job and kind of you know and you know that's it's uh you know that like that that part of it is just um i mean that's kind of that that's 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 what you got to do like and the coach doesn't understand that because the coach is like well if you know don't commit yet you know, take a couple days because like if you have an amazing season then like kansas is going to call you and north carolina is going to call you and and, and uh St- they have such a great cut because he's like you know all these places are going to call you just take a couple days and it goes cut and it's them popping champagne as he signs like the letter of intent to go to marquette and you're like yeah like he needs he has the, you know, he should just do that. Like, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, what makes sense. And he's not like this, he's not being a greedy fuck, like, where he's just like, like the coach, who's just like, you have to just kill, kill, kill. Like, you have, like he literally says stuff like that. Where it's just like, you gotta be ready to kill, you know, like, all this stuff. And it's just like, it is such a, the brother, I'm glad you brought that up. The brother is important in this, because he's another example a lot of the outlying characters are this example of like alternatives to this like l- this dream which is the alternative is the more likely thing right that's going to occur which is like you're going to be faced with everyday life and you're going to have to get a job and there's there's nothing wrong with it and there's a there's a dignity to it and i felt like he was treated with that it's also important to remember though like and the movie reminds you of that that like in this place in this particular like 
place that these these families find themselves in though like the alternative is like it's not just getting a it's not just like getting a job and having to support kids it's like very often life or death as we see in some of this and like so much danger in their in their neighborhoods and things like that which is just like yeah like so intense well, that's and that's you know, it, it's not in the film, but I mean that's a reality in the aftermath of this. I mean, Arthur loses his dad. His dad's shot in like a robbery, um, and in you know that's how he died. Uh, uh, William's brother is killed in you know in a shooting. You know, like that's just that's a reality for them, and you know that's something that, yeah, they're trying. You know, that's they're trying to escape that. Um, Though I do, I do kind of want to go on a on a bit of a, a, a on a mini tangent on something because this was something that really stood out to me. And that's, you know, I mentioned that like you have this whole treating these kids like investments, um, and it was kind of fascinating to me thinking about like the modern landscape of sports, specifically with college sports, where you have this element of NIL, which is name, image, and likeness, which is pretty much. The pretty much it's kind of the cheat code that they've come up with in order to pay, um, ath- you know, pay these college athletes because you know the ca- the college athletes are the ones performing all of the labor in, in order to lead to you know fans in the seats and people showing up to games and, and championships and all that good stuff like that like that's all on the backs of of these college athletes who were you know getting not getting paid anything and like the you know. NIL is is what it is. It's not perfect. They should just be getting paid wages as if like they were a normal worker. Um, but like with sports, it's it's complicated because like like you know you're kind of you're presented with this whole thing of like, oh well, if you get really good at basketball, you'll get to the NBA and you'll make millions of dollars, so it won't matter. Um, but like you know. Forever, you know, you have those LeBron Jameses, you have those like Stephen Curry's, you have those, but that's those guys are kind of like the outliers. Like those aren't like the the normal basketball players are the ones who probably play for a few years, make a, a couple million, but a lot of that million is going other places because you, as you see from these characters in this movie, they're trying to get the to the NBA not only to be in the NBA, but also because that will lead to money so they can take care of their families because their family, you know, I mean, like we said, Arthur's family, the electricity is turned off at, you know, for them at some point. And so it's, it's complicated with like stuff like, you know, with like NILs because, you know, if that's like a little bit of, of a change into the, you know, into their pockets, but it's not enough. It's not an, it's, it's not comparable to their labor. And like, you see somebody like William who, his whole livelihood is based in his body. Like it's all like all of that is based into his, you know, everything that, you know, he can make in terms of money through this, this, this job of playing basketball is in his body. And like, that's something that, you know, is just tragic watching him go through because like that injury, um, you know, with the, I think the fascinating thing with it is just the mental component of it. Like he, you can clearly see that he's mentally not the same, and they make mention of it. The coach does, but it's kind of dismissive. But like, he's mentally not the same after the injury, and you know that's, it's tragic because I mean he's he's not you know that's, 
that's his livelihood. That's that's what he's he's at least at this point used to to like kind of get him to that next level and he's like physically unable to to do that because they're put they're taxing him and putting all you know all these miles on it because they're making him the coach is pushing him to this level through high school and so you know it's as they go through these different levels like you look at what how the coach is treating the kids in this movie for high school so just imagine how taxing that is on the body then they go to college and they're it's even higher degree of like taxing on the body so then they get to the to the you know to the nba or they get to that professional level and it's no wonder that a lot of athletes like don't last very long like you know it's just like they've they've taxed their bodies so long you know, so much and so then they get to that, that that final level and a lot of them are not making that lebron or stephen curry or uh you know michael jordan money because they're not there long enough and they don't have that pedigree and so you know it well, by that time you're like you're, you're exhausted. exhausted it's amazing to watch i can't imagine like after watching this it like makes it seem like this was just the getting through fucking high school holy shit like and these kids seem destroyed and like mentally like like a little traumatized and, well it just like, so it shows uh, how like fragile it is you know like i don't know like if you're studying to be like an engineer or you're studying to be a doctor you're you know you're you're like in school studying for something i don't feel like the trajectory of your career is as fragile as like as this i mean like think about like that small ligament in his knee derail like he could have maybe been the next isaiah thomas who knows but like he had that injury and he was pushed too quickly to get back and it messed with him physically so that he was really unable to perform at the level he was that they were wanting him to but it also screwed him up mentally and so now you know you know you don't know anymore absolutely but yeah but again there is something to be said about William going through that and having this like at least a bit of clarity there at the end with a lot of it and not letting it just be like oh I failed like I was destined to fail or something like no like a lot of this a lot of this was fucked like a lot of this was like they treated you like a they used the word thoroughbred like throughout this like in reference to these human beings and like and yeah like again like he wasn't able to like he missed like it it, like the last game or whatever isn't there the whole thing where he showed up like three minutes late and the coach like benched him yeah and he benched he was benched for like the first half or something like of course fucked with his head and and then the coach still like holds on to that even though like they lost the game and like maybe he would have been like in a better place and could have like helped to win the game but the coach holds on to it as like you'll thank me later you learned a lesson it's a teaching moment yeah it's a teaching moment yeah which i also can't help but like see like the racial dynamic he's a white coach i can't help but see this like sort of like racial dynamic there there's no overt like racism or something but there is like this weird like like i'm giving you this this like secret knowledge that you know you people don't understand or like 
you know. Well, there's there's definitely like a kind of gatekeeperness to this whole St. Joseph school, not just the coach, but like it it's like this, it, you know, that's why that's why I said I said at the beginning like the the recruiting guy is like kind of fascinating because he goes and like picks these kids out and brings them to this school and then you know like so let's i mean we can talk about arthur a little bit like he's taken to the school he's not seen as like a sound investment and so they kick him out and then they're like holding his transcript so he's unable to like you know pass he he they're 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 making him pay back all this money because he doesn't have a benefactor and he's going to like this private high school in Chicago and so then they're like financially in trouble it it causes a rift in like his parents marriage like yeah it um, should have never happened basically <laughs> and it's all be- yeah it's all because the school was like yeah well t- you know you seem like you're good at basketball and they went well you're not as uh, at good at, you're not at, at you know to the level of basketball that we want you to be right now so you know get the hell out of here um it's you know it's just it's it's absurd um and so i don't know i think i think this taps into like this is much more of a thing with like with like college athletes because they're just seen at you know college that's why i mentioned nil because for so long it's like no it's kind of it's kind of like the coach going this is a teaching moment like college sports supposed to be like oh no you're this is you're getting your exposure and you're gonna get you know you're gonna, you know, be really good in college, and then you'll get to go to the NFL and be amazing and make all this money. And I think about like athletes, somebody like uh, like Todd Gurley, who was a running back for the University of Georgia, and then went to the NFL. And while he was in college, he was an amazing running back. Like he was really good for four years. Was you know just just you know just incredible. And then he gets to the NFL, and he's so. And he's very good for a couple years, but then his knees give out. Like he just he like at this point he doesn't he's not playing in the NFL because his he, his knees literally cannot like pro, you know probably keep up physically enough for him to be a, like a, a a person that could be you know good at football in the NFL. Um, and like so then like was it worth it like all of like all that led up to it that he got like three or four good years in the nfl i mean he made decent money and for the rest of his life he'll probably make good money because he'll be able to do like speaking things and he'll get he'll be at parades waving for the university of georgia for the rest of his life but like you think about all those years of like effort that he gave to the college and how like the coach there is making like 10 to 12 million dollars a year like was it, it just it, it, you know like i was just sitting i was like i was like thinking this morning like like was all of that labor that like you know he put into football equitable you know uh, you know was it equitable to what the school and coaches made for using his body and using his likeness and i'm like no it wasn't and and i was thinking about that in relation to like william and in um, Arthur, like William was somebody who, you know, was driving people and driving money to this high school. Um, and then was just kind of cast off like a rag doll whenever he was hurt that year. And he talks about it. He has that one interview, um, at the end of his junior year where he's talking about how like his name's not even on the plaque for the team. And he's just kind of like, like, what am I doing here? You know? Um, it's just so, it's just so, it's just such a fucked system. It is. Again, system, yeah. And it's like, uh, 
it, it's a little window into a greater system and that's what is so profound about the movie is like it's you know infinity and a grain of sand like the oldest cliche like zeroing in on it's just going to make it about football no it's never just uh, about basketball i mean it's never just about basketball once you start actually zooming out you see this is all connected like so many injustices and so much economic ridiculousness but then like you know in this movie does a really good job of not being like you know like a hoosiers or something where it's just like this kind of like sports fantasy but then at the same time like the last part of arthur's career where his where his high school they make that run and they win the city championship and then finish third in the state uh playoffs like that whole sequence is so exhilarating like as you watch his as you watch them like win games and you see arthur and his family react to it like that like even though it's like this much more nuanced drama than just being about sports then it reminds you also why why they do it because there is like this ecstasy like in that whole that whole run that they have at that and during his senior year yeah every celebratory scene is treated with in such a naturalistic there's very few like slow-mo like there's no like baba o'reilly playing on this you know it's <laughs> yeah. just like quiet and you hear just uh, well there's no music and you hear just sh- the screaming fans and you it's like really chaotic like when they win a game in this movie and like everybody runs out onto the field it's like intense and like they're just like breaking down sobbing a lot of these men who you watch through this being like because a lot of that you know a lot of the way they're brought up and a lot of the culture that they're in is so like tough masculine like in any other scenes we don't see like we barely see them speak to the camera or like they're they're too shy and like they don't they don't show emotion and then when they win a game they are literally sobbing and like falling on the ground it's like so intense to witness like just how much like yeah and understandably that how much this means to them you know like yeah and like that's and that's uh, you know it's unfortunate that you have all of the facets of athletics that you do that we've like outlined so far because like at, at its in its most pure form like that's what it's supposed to be like that's what it's supposed to be about like those like the moment when they're lifting arthur up after they have that big upset you know things like that like that's what it's supposed to be about but you know unfortunately in capitalism it's not (laughs) you know like it's yeah that's like a little icing on the top you know exactly and it's also i mean you know thinking back it's it's interesting that like arthur kind of gets the big you know kind of quote movie moment when it comes to like the the whole basketball run when william who's kind of the more highly touted highly lauded uh basketball player um he never really gets that, you know, like, like they, they have a night, they, they kind of, they talk about how they have a good run in the playoffs, the first, his first two years, but then he's hurt. And then after that, you know, they, in that, the, his last year, they have like an upset loss and lose early. And he's, you know, as, as you just described, like he's crying, but it's not because he's happy. It's because they just like lost this game and it's his last game in high school. And so, you know, it does, it does kind of show this parallel of like, 
again, how fragile all of this is. It's just, it's a, it's just constantly fragile. And it's so, it's so intense that it has to be so extreme that it's, in a lot of the ways, it's because of how, how fucked a lot of the system is, it is so, like, either you're fighting to turn the lights on or you're a millionaire in, in, a, in a lot of these kids' minds and a lot of the... In a, and in a lot of ways, it's, like, the truth in the way that, like, the system works and, like, how fucked it is that, like, finding some sort of middle ground is, is like, not even an option in a lot of ways, which is so unfair, like. And it's interesting, like, you, it has, I mean, they're in Chicago, so naturally, like, Michael Jordan is a figure, even though he's not talked about a bunch. They show, like, clips of Michael Jordan at the beginning, um, mainly they talk about Isaiah Thomas because Isaiah Thomas uh, of the Pistons, he he uh, he went to the high school that that the St. Joe's High School. Um, it's interesting how you know people like Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas are like viewed in this movie. Like they are almost like these like deities almost you know they're almost like these gods. You know like it's you have like this you have the scene very early when. Um, when Isaiah Thomas comes to the high school and like plays one-on-one with Arthur, um, which is kind of like just this highlight for Arthur, especially when it comes to basketball at the beginning of, you know, for those first two years of his, of his career. Um, but like they're, they're just constantly talking about them almost like they're, they're figures that don't aren't like human figures that exist, but that they're just like these like gods that kind of descended on earth that like we're here at this high school for a little while and then they're gone you know like i i don't know to me i was just kind of like thinking about that as well as like how they how these how these 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 you know basketball players are personified um for these kids i mean yeah and it's very fitting that they are they're they're treated that way in the film too like they're not I, I there's no big like interview with Isaiah and like I feel you get the feeling even if they could get Michael Jordan in this movie they wouldn't like almost for this like or you know it, it would it's it's more fitting for the film to focus on these two and this reality which is like not yeah seeing this like lofty artificial sort of dream that they live in you know yeah well it's steve steve james had a really good quote in one of the interviews that i was reading from him where he's like they were talking about how um they were it was in the dissolve um oral history that they did of of hoop dreams for 20 years and he's talking about how they had to like develop the relationships with these kids and um he you know he, he was talking about talking with um Arthur's mother one time and he was like it was after St. Joe's kicked that they had learned that St. Joe's kicked him out and that he was going to Marshall and that you know they were dealing with and like it seemed like she was kind of going like do you even like want to like still keep like doing this like it doesn't seem like if he's not going to be there it doesn't seem likely like he's going to go to the nba or anything so like why would you want to like follow him and steve james the director is just kind of like i mean we're we're not following these kids because we think they're going to go to the nba we're following them because they have this dream like they just kind of have this pure dream to play basketball 
Um, and I think that, I think to your point, like that's, that's what this goal is. It's not there, you know, you don't need Michael Jordan or Isaiah Thomas talking about their experiences. It's, it's about, again, it's about the non, the non legend people, you know, it's about the normal people who just have a dream to play basketball. Um, and you know, none of, neither, you know, they, neither of them really did. Arthur played two years, like, you know, in college and that was about it. Uh, uh, um, William played at Marquette for a couple of years and, and then he graduated. He's like a pastor now and like runs a church. Um, you know, like, it's just like, I don't know. It, it, it you know, it could have been different, but at the same time, like, it's, you know, who cares that it's not, you know, I'm sure they would have liked to be in the NBA, but I think that their lives are probably, they're probably satisfied with their lives as they are. And like, like I, we, we said, when we were talking about William, like at the end of the day, he got the, the scholarship, he got to go to, you know, college and kind of get out of there and be able to really like, um, you know, find, you know, find a career, find a, you know, find something through, through going to school, getting out of, um, kind of the, the, the cycle that is his neighborhood. Yeah. And it's not this like either I go all the way or it's just over sort of, sort of thing. Yeah. Which, yeah, ideally that's the goal that these kids can reach. And it is interesting that the coach that, coached Arthur who actually went further with basketball seemed to have comparatively have more of a realistic approach to the whole thing which he seemed to be very much more about like it's great that we're you know it's great that we're able to do this it's great that we're able to get to you know the state championship or whatever it's uh, it's great for a player to do that like he's like but he seems a little bit more like down to earth that like this is a this is a nice thing that you're doing this is a great thing you're doing in your life that you know it could uh but he's not he's not constantly like forcing this whole like you're going to be in the nba narrative on arthur it feels like at least in the way that williams coaches which is like yeah it's like either you're gonna be a winner or i don't want to like fucking talk to you and you're just gonna like might as well go out there and you know you get the feeling that he just has this very much like just go out in the street then screw you or something well there's this one game where arthur has like a really like scores a bunch of points and kind of like has some swagger at the end of the game from from a couple like moments and he gets into the locker room and the coach is just like um yeah well you turn the ball over seven times you know like and, and it's not in a like you're it's, he's not yelling at him in the way like the saint joe's coaches he's kind of going yeah you like swaggered around there acted like you were isaiah thomas but you turned the ball over seven times so like you know get a you know get over yourself a little bit you know type thing like you know come like real like you know you got to recognize that even though you you have talent and you're scoring points and you're doing well, turning the ball over is is you know is kind of you know falling backwards a little bit. So you're falling like you know don't do that. That's not what we want. Um, no, that coach is that coach was way better. That coach was a, I liked him a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any any final thoughts on hoop dreams? I mean, I. I, I, I really believe like even if you're not a sports person I think you should watch this um, I think it's I think it's great and you know honestly 
I, I think for being almost three hours, it moves pretty quickly. Um, I think it's, and I think, I think you get engaged in it because you get, you get, uh, invested in like the path of the lives of these kids. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It feels like something, if it were to, were to come out now, it might have like more of a get back treatment where it would, they would have like been able to maybe sell it as more of like, we're going to make an, like a few episodes of this, like it is one of those things that really sustains itself. And like, even after three hours, you're like, I, I, I would take more because there's more, there's, there's just, it's just so rich. Well, and it's, it's worth like, I assume with get back, you didn't sit there for eight hours and watch it. Correct. No, Ex- no, I didn't. Exactly. Not. So like, it's something that like, I like that the experience is all packaged into one for three. Like this is, this is what Ebert's talking about. Like it's all packaged into one for three hours. And so in the one sitting, theoretically, you're experiencing this whole journey. And I think that there is something to that, that that's makes it more impactful that all in that one sitting, you're experiencing all of this over three hours. And that's why it, that's why it's three hours. That doesn't, you know, um, that, you know, it, it, with it's, it's different than something like, you know, like when OJ made in America came out a couple years ago, I sat, and watched all like eight or nine hours of that in one sitting. And it made a difference because it was like, you were sitting with this narrative from start to finish all in one sustained time when it's, it's, it's set up episodically. So you sit, you could sit there and watch an episode like a night or something like that, but there's something different when you're in this, just, this is, this is the basic dif- difference between movies and television of, you're sitting there for one sustained experience for three hours. And I think that hoop dreams is a perfect example of why that's beneficial because I think that it changes how you um, engage with the story. That's very true. Forget what I said. Forget what I said. That No, I mean, I think you're right. I, I agree with you actually. Yeah, absolutely. Like that is what really works here and making it episodic would make it feel more like it is like, what it originally be was right which was just a snippet on the news or something or just like a short documentary in pieces you know um, yeah i mean i, I think yeah I, I i just that's that's the difference between it being episodic and it not there's there's no, not one is not better than the other it's just i think that it just the it, the story works better in this way. The the story yeah the story works better this way. It just you know sometimes it, it maybe you know some some wouldn't but this one does. I don't you know I don't yeah. know what to tell you. Um, but yeah no go see watch people watch Hoop Dreams. It's really good. It's fantastic. Um, well that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Cinematary on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary on Twitter and Instagram at handle at cinematary and on letterbox at letterbox.com slash cinematary where we um, post all the movies that we talked about in this episode. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash cinematary. Um, and thank you, big, uh, big thank yous to our patrons, Cam, Chad Newsom, Corey Willingham, Harry Eskin, Candace Sisson. Ron Hayes, Titus Arthur, Tyler Chandler, and Whitney Rio Ross. Thank you so much for your patronage. Um, next week, we're going to be continuing our 
um, labor and basketball series with 1998's He Got Game, which uh, another, really we got three bangers for this series. I'm really excited about it. Um, but uh, until then, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.